every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh, Kit Marie, Brandon Ray, and Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience? Like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead peasants? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've been giving it a thought of two. You know, if you go to Joke Workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes. And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dag nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8 that's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Do you need an awesome and underground space for an event? Look no further than MutinyRadio.fm. Our 30-seat flexible space can accommodate your acoustic band, birthday party, comedy show, dance party, karaoke super fun, theater event, fundraiser. If you think it, we can do it. You run the door in promotion, we run the sound, space, and podcast. Rentals available Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10 at Mutiny Radio FM's performance space at 2781 21st Street in the Deep Mission at 21st in Florida. Contact Pam at pamsadai at hotmail.com for more options and booking dates. Incredible socialist prices so you can be creative in a free speech space without breaking the bank. That's Mutiny Radio Rentals every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday from 8 to 10. Book your event. Now. Trying to hurt me, but boy, how it burns me whenever she touches me, and oh, I feel so lucky. LSD, fap, acid, fapping, fapping, acid, acid, fapping, fapping, acid, fap, 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 acid. Thank you. That song is called Acid and Fapping. This is Tusser Metals with Mute in the Radio. Big up to the number one station that rule the nation. Give it to me every time. Freeform stand every Sunday at 1 p.m. Parking Ninos Unidos at 23rd and Folsom. The Freeform stand and all volunteer run project of the No Penny Opera. It's about sharing the wealth of urban farms and gardens. Making, helping making local growth fresh and nutrients organic produce accessible to all, especially those in individuals or low incomes or tight budgets. The free farm stand grows food in San Francisco and distributes its it for free. We act as a gathered place and mission to encourage community growth and involvement. This effort resolved most around gathering surplus foods from neighborhood gardens, various farmer markets, community gardens, 
public and private fruit trees and hosting a space where this bounty can be shared with all. We also work with produce to the people who harvest organic fruits from backyard fruit trees and public spaces and bring it out to our free farm stand. For more information or if you want to help or if you have or know of a fruit tree that needs picking, you can contact Lauren with at produce to the people at produce to the people at gmail.com. Serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it 
the devil Or it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody Might like to wear cotton Might like to wear silk Might like to drink whiskey Might like to drink milk Might like to eat caviar You might like to eat bread Maybe sleeping on the floor Sleeping in a king-size bed But you're gonna have to serve somebody Yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody You may call me Zimmy You may call me RJ You may call me Ray You may call me anything No matter what you say You're still gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody Yes, you're gonna have to serve somebody Serve somebody Well, it may be the devil And it may be the Lord But you're gonna have to serve somebody Armstrong, someone I honored last week, but uh, you know, sometimes from week to week the songs stick with you, right? So here it is again, the West End Blues. Good morning, everybody. Oh, <laughs> 
This is The B, and you are listening to Mutiny Radio. Welcome, everybody. The show is Labor and Love, where we tell you how it is. Let's stir one up a little. Ice Cube.
That was Ice Cube with uh, Good Cop, Bad Cop. And the song was accompanied by scenes of police brutality on uh, young black men. And uh, Ice puts himself in there, too. He gets beat up and thrown in jail. Uh, so this is the B. Welcome to Labor and Love Radio. Like I say, we started. I started you out with Bob Dylan. Uh, you got to serve somebody. No matter what you do in your life, every day, you got to serve somebody. Is it going to be the devil or the Lord? Is it going to be capital or is it going to be labor? Okay, then we followed up with Louis Armstrong's exquisite West End Blues. Kind of a Saturday morning song. Weekend song. And finally, Ice Cube's Good Cop, Bad Cop, uh, produced, I believe, 1993. I would certainly closer to the NWA days. Uh, what do we got today? Well, it's the labor show. We got Radio Labor. We got the Win Weekend Review. We've got the Labor and Love website, three different stories about turning back the minimum wage, about uh, the governor of Missouri saying that evangel evangelicals would get crucified in their struggle against uh, gay marriage or, or gay rights. LGBT rights, they would be crucified. Amazing, huh? That people are so, care so much <laughs> about what somebody else is doing that doesn't even affect them, you know? Uh, TJ Maxx, where are all those cheap clothes coming from? the advantages that rich people have in the tax code, and so much more. We've got labor history, the 34 general strike in July. We've got a tribute to Barbara Dane, who I had the good fortune to go and see um, on Thursday night. Barbara Dane and the Chambers Brothers. Speaking of the Chambers Brothers, uh, they were actually, uh, Dane was instrumental in bringing the Chambers Brothers to, to the San Francisco Bay Area. And she recorded an album with them uh, early on, 1965, I believe. Um, and at that time, they were a gospel group. They pretty much are have remained the gospel. But in, um, what would it be, 1968, they recorded this song. Here it comes.
Chambers Brothers, time has come today. Talk about the summer of love. For a lot of people, all you'd have to do is play that song and it would bring the whole uh, era back. Time has come today. This is the show where we tell you, by the way, if one person got a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. It's called investing, huh? If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're probably on the menu. I was looking at a uh, Lowe's anti-union little video, actually an hour and a half long, not not little, describing uh, if you're a manager at Lowe's, how do you deal with uh, people who are trying to unionize? Uh, Lowe's is against unions. And uh, this guy got very graphic about it. Of course he doesn't want you to have a union. Then you'd have a seat at the table. Then you'd be threatening some of that person's income. Of course he doesn't want that. And finally... Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Republicans still trying to force through the uh, Wealth Care Act. I'm not sure if they have the votes to do it or not. I hope they don't. Uh, I hope we finally start moving towards single payer. This whole ruckus around health care has in a way uh, brought that argument to, to center stage if it wasn't already center stage. How about some radio labor? Labor news from around the world. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, July 14th, 2017. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, Labor fights for an international law concerning violence against women in the workplace. How unions can fight climate change. And the Labor Start report about union events around the world. This is Radio Labor. The international labor movement is campaigning to have a new ILO law on violence, especially against women in the workplace. See Marie Ainsborough reports. Labor organizations around the world are lobbying for the creation of an international law to eliminate violence against women and men in the workplace. The proposed law is an instrument designed by the International Labor Organization. The ILO is the United Nations body focused on matters of work in the world. If adopted by a country, the law, called a convention, would become part of the country's legal infrastructure. Conventions are often accompanied by recommendations on how to implement their provisions. The campaign to have the ILO adopt a convention about violence against women and men in the workplace is intensifying as more labor organizations lobby their governments to support the proposed convention at the ILO's annual conference in 2018. Leading the global campaign for an ILO convention is the International Trade Union Confederation. The ITUC is the global organization which represents national labor centers, such as the Ghana Trades Union Congress and the AFL-CIO in the United States. 
Judy King is the director of the ITUC's Equality Department. In a radio labor interview, she was asked what forms of violence against women the ITUC was most concerned about. Well, I think we're concerned about all forms of violence against women, really, which can take many shapes, whether it's physical abuse, including assault, battery, attempted murder, sexual violence, including rape and sexual assault, you know, verbal abuse, bullying, psychological abuse, intimidation, sexual harassment, stalking, threats of violence. I mean, the list is quite long. And, you know, whilst there's some extreme forms of violence, which we can all easily recognize and say, you know, this is unacceptable, it needs to be stopped, other seemingly minor forms of intimidation and harassment and coercion sometimes take place over extensive periods of time and can have devastating effects. And we've seen some of these even leading up to acts of suicide. So I think our objective is really zero tolerance on all forms of violence um, against women in the workplace, recognizing, of course, that different measures um, need to be applied according to the severity of the violence that we're talking about. But prevention is what we're aiming about at its and zero tolerance. The campaign has taken on some urgency because the ITUC is asking its affiliates to complete a questionnaire about their experiences with violence against women. The questionnaire must be completed by early September in order to have its results considered at the ILO conference scheduled for June 2018. The labor movement is at the forefront of the struggle against the effects of climate change and progress towards green, sustainable economies. One of the labor organizations fighting for climate change solutions is Trade Unions for Energy Development. Helping to lead to ed is Sean Sweeney from the journal New Labor Forum. He spoke about the role labor unions can have in the struggles associated with climate change at a recent conference. I'm here to talk a little bit about energy but in the context of labor struggles. I see three tasks in front of the labor community, both here and internationally. The first is we need an independent voice on energy, climate, and environment. One that's not tied to the vision of the industries, including the renewables energy industries, or the big environmental groups, many of whom are quite agnostic on the question of worker issues. So we need a, of an independent voice. The second thing we need is we need to turn voice into vision. It's no point saying all the time what the problems are. This is really important. We're inspired by these struggles of resistance. But we need to show how we can reach the targets that were established in Paris, and I mean the science-based targets, not the commitments made by the countries, because they're two very different things. We need to be able to turn that vision into the kind of program that can actually get the job done. All over the world, we got scientists and engineers saying, oh, we can do this. In 25 years, we could be 100% renewable power. Why is it not happening? Yes, it's the fossil fuel companies standing in the way. It's also the dynamics of growth, profit, and consumption that run through the global economy. But also, it's the belief that renewable energy has to compete on an even playing field with fossil fuels. We have to throw that idea out of the window. If the future of human civilization and all life on Earth depends on whether renewable energy is 8 cents a kilowatt hour or 10 cents a kilowatt hour, that is not an acceptable proposition and we're not going to put up with it. I'm from the land of Jeremy Corbyn. Jeremy Corbyn, actually, 
was born 12 miles from where I live. He was born in a small town named Chippenham. Now, Jerem, this is, I'll just use this as an illustration. Two years ago, the idea of public ownership, of renationalizing energy, was completely on the margins of the political debate in Britain. Even among the trade unions, the unions got together and they decided they were going to push the Labour Party to support a program of reclaiming the energy sector, which was popular amongst the British public. Privatization had been a disaster. Those unions, with Unions for Energy Democracy, we went and, went and met with the Labour Party uh, just a few months ago and said, put this in the manifesto. And yes, it was in the manifesto to break up the big six cartel energy companies, to have 200 green cities pushing public renewable power. So public renewable power, public investment, let's all rally behind it. If you're in a union, get involved, get active. Unionsforenergydemocracy.org. Now here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a small sample of the average of 300 news stories added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to stories about the deaths of Bangladeshi garment workers in factory fires, the struggle for pay equity led by the Nurses Union of Kenya, and the call by German Volkswagen workers for the car maker to take responsibility for labor rights violations in its Chinese plants. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. A week into their strike over an increase in hours and a decrease in pay, Swedish waste collection workers quit their jobs en masse. On the same day as the resignations, workers at the other company that collects waste in Stockholm walked out in a solidarity strike. Haitian textile workers continued to press their demand for a living wage with the support of Canadian unions. Badly paid American nurses were walking picket lines in an effort to gain a wage increase. Indian conservancy workers stopped work to protest the planned privatization of the services they provide, while cleaning staff at a large Indian hospital stopped work as they entered the third month of work with no pay. Banana plantations in Guadalupe were struck by workers who were demanding a living wage. Ironically, Pakistani Workers' Welfare Board employees were forced to mount a workplace occupation in an effort to regularize their temporary employment contracts. In some cases, the workers have been employed temporarily for almost a decade. Our top working women's stories included coverage of the leadership training provided to Nepalese union activists and migrant workers in Malaysia, the fight for domestic worker labor rights in Colombia, and the struggle of women in the Palestinian job market. The Health and Safety Newswire, rerun in cooperation with Hazards magazine, carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about new Canadian regulations covering the hours of work for airline pilots, calls for action after asbestos was found in British schools, and the ongoing struggle for justice by the victims of a garment factory fire in Pakistan. Currently, Labour Start is running seven online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labour Start, reporting for Radio Labour. And that's it. 
international labor news you can use. Radio Labor's newscasts are available on its website, iTunes, mobile phones, union websites, and community radio. Okay, uh, that was Radio Labor. And Radio Labor has a a feature this week. Let's listen to this. This is about driverless trucks and cars and what it's going to do to workers in that in the transportation industry. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor News update recorded on Monday, July 3rd, 2017. I'm Mark Belanger. One of the great challenges facing unions which represent transportation workers is the advent of driverless trucks. A new study by the International Transport Forum says that automated freight transport could reduce demand for truck drivers in the U.S. and Europe by 50 to 70 percent over the next 15 years. The result could be that up to four and a half million trucking jobs could disappear. One of the organizations involved in producing the new report is the International Transport Workers Federation. The ITF represents more than 16 million workers who are members of 700 unions in 150 countries. Mac Arata is the Inland Transport Secretary of the ITF. He was interviewed at a conference in Leipzig, Germany, where the report about autonomous freight transport was released. Autonomous freight transport. Is this a good thing? Is this, is this going to be something important for the future? It could be a good thing if this improves road safety, this reduces uh, carbon emission, if this is efficient, if there's a fairer distribution of the operations, transport, transport operations between the different hours of the day, then perhaps this is a good thing that there is less road congestion, for example, but it should not be at the cost of the workers being displaced without proper compensation or uh, redeployment or training. What do you see as the big challenges of autonomous road freight? One big challenge is that we may not know who the new employers would be. For instance, if you have a trucking company in Leipzig, and if there are autonomous trucks, do you need to control it in Leipzig by a local employer? You could have someone controlling the whole system in America, or Japan, or Cape Town. And then how would we relate to that employer and negotiate our conditions? That's the challenge for us. What, what are perhaps the positives for you? What do, do you see opportunities for your, for your members, for the people you represent? We could see opportunities that this could create new types of jobs, perhaps more jobs um, in operation, perhaps not in driving, but in operation, for example. But benefits would also be for, for the communities and, and for, the, for the society as a whole if there is just transition. But we see a lot of challenges as well as opportunities and I admit it's, we, this is a kind of a mixed bag for us uh, as much as it is for the employers and the governments. Fully 10% of the labor force of the United Kingdom is engaged in perilous, insecure work. 
trying to help these three million workers is the British Trades Union Congress. The TUC represents 5.6 million workers in 50 unions. As part of its campaign to win better conditions for workers in perilous work, the TUC has released a video interview of a young worker employed in the video gaming industry. She asked that her name not be used out of fear of retaliation. My uh, company is exploiting um, contracted workers and I'm one of them. I'm a self-employed contractor working in the gaming industry. I've been working there for come near two years, uh, but I'm increasingly frustrated and angry with them. They exploit me and all the other contracted staff. The real difference between permanent and self-employed workers is that they get the benefits and we don't. I don't get sick pay, I don't get holiday pay, so there's no flexibility for me working from home either. Planning the future is near impossible. Trying to get a mortgage, I can't get that. I tried to get the employer to pay into my pension. That doesn't happen for self-employed people like me. I will never be able to retire and receive a decent pension. This type of working culture is grown by silent approval and condoned by the government. The problem is of monstrous size yet barely ever in the public eye. The current system doesn't help the worker like me, the taxpaying worker. It helps exploiter. And that's it. International labor news you can use. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. was a world labor report let's listen to the win we can review now workers independent news Workers Independent News Week in Review. I'm Doug Cunningham. While NAFTA has provided tremendous benefits to CEOs and global corporations, it has on net failed the working people of North America. Former AFL-CIO Deputy Chief of Staff Thea Lee during testimony at the U.S. Trade Representative's North American Free Trade Agreement renegotiation hearings. Lee left no doubt where labor stands on any NAFTA renegotiation. It must serve labor, not just capital. Lee articulated the damage NAFTA has done to workers. NAFTA has increased trade flows, but it has also increased the U.S. trade deficit, accelerated Accelerated the outsourcing of good jobs, depressed wages, weakened worker power, undermined democratic decision-making, and destabilized communities. Lee says under NAFTA, workers have seen money flow from them to the top of the economic ladder, and labor wants that changed. After two years without a state budget, the Illinois House Thursday voted to override Governor Bruce Rauner's budget veto. Severe damage was done to the people of Illinois, all because Rauner tried to force his anti-worker agenda on the state legislature before he would approve a budget. Illinois AFL-CIO political director Bill Luby. It's a good thing that the General Assembly was, was able to step up. Things had, had gone pretty far. The bond rating agencies were pushing us toward uh, junk bond status. Uh, People were hurting. That's the most more important thing. Seniors, students, 
and some of the most vulnerable in the state were, were really in dire straits. And I think that this will, will be a strong step toward putting things back on the right track. The Farm Labor Organizing Committee says North Carolina's Farm Bill S-615 is a shameful abuse of power that takes aim at our union in a blatant attempt to stop farm workers from achieving union agreements that include wage increases, job security, benefits, and improved working conditions, end quote. Flock says North Carolina politicians, who are also growers, are trying to use their legislative power to stop workers on the politicians' own farms from organizing for better wages and working conditions. Flock's Justin Flores says the ability to organize unions is the best chance farm workers have of improving their wages and working conditions. We're talking about people doing backbreaking work for long hours, working 50, 60, 70 hours during the harvest uh, during the harvest season out in that hot sun each week. They certainly should have a wage high enough so that they don't need charity. Healthcare activists in Oregon are not only fighting to defeat Trump care, they have their eyes on a much bigger prize, universal single-payer health care for their state. Wes Brain hosts the Brain Labor Report on KSKQ in Ashland, Oregon. Brain is active in the Healthcare for All Oregon Coalition of approximately 120 groups, including labor unions. We're going to be voting in 2020. We're going to need 2020 vision. We're doing the education now for a statewide vote in 2020 to bring us single-payer here in the state. Workers Independent News provided by Diversified Media Enterprises. I'm Doug Cunningham. Doug Cunningham with the uh, Win Labor Report, Win Week in Review. And uh, those issues that are being brought up, you know, about uh, driverless cars. Um, Richard Wolf said that if you're running a company and you want to lower your labor costs, there are two things you can do. One is that you can take the jobs and take the company and go somewhere else where wages are very low, or you can bring the low-wage workers to you. And that's what hap- That's why we have migrants, people coming into this country to do the low-wage low work that other people don't want to do. Or you can robotize your workforce. As uh, Mr. Trump's prospective Secretary of Labor once said, robots, you know, they're perfect workers. They don't complain. They don't take time off. They don't bring charges against you, you know. What will happen? Maybe robots will uh, will evolve into sentient beings. Okay, let's listen to some more music now. And like I say, we're featuring the songs of Barbara Dane. I had the... Uh, I had the uh, good fortune to go see Barbara Dane uh, last Thursday. And uh, she's 90 years old and still uh, works a song, controls the song, makes the song in her own image. Um, Let's see, here's one on the Ludlow Massacre, 1914 in uh, Colorado, Barbara Dane. 
undermine democratic It was early springtime and, and the strike was on. Have seen money flow you drove us miners out of doors. That change. Out of After the houses that the company owned. Moved into tents up at Old Ludlow. We were worried bad about our children. Soldiers guarding the railroad bridge Every once in a while A bullet would fly Kick up gravel under my feet We were so afraid You would kill our children Dug us a cave that was seven foot deep Put our young ones and a pregnant woman down inside that cave to sleep That very night your soldiers waited Till all us miners was asleep You snuck around our little tent town Soaked our tents with your kerosene You struck a match and the blaze it started Triggers of your Gatlin gun I made a run for the children But a firewall stopped me Thirteen children died from your gun I carried my blanket to a wire fence corner Watched the fire till the blaze died down I helped some people drag their little belongings While your bullets killed us all around I never will forget the look on the faces Of the men and women that awful day As we stood around to preach their funeral And play the corpse of the dead away Well then we phoned the governor Told him call the president Call off his national guard the National Guard belonged to the governor So he didn't try so very hard Well then our women hauled some potatoes Up to Wallensburg in a little cart Sold them potatoes and brought some guns back And they put a gun in every hand State soldiers jumped us in the wire fence corner They did not know that we had them guns And the redneck miners mowed down them troopers You should have seen them poor boys run We took some seamen, walled the cave up Where you killed our 13 children inside I said, God bless the Mine Workers Union. Then I hung my head in pride. Barbara Dane with her song about the Ludlow Massacre. Um, labor Action 1914. 
Colorado National Guard and Colorado Fuel and Iron Company camp guards on a tent colony of 1,200 striking coal miners and their families at Ludlow, Colorado. Two dozen people, including miners, wives, and children, were killed. The chief owner of the mine, John D. Rockefeller. Check it out. Pitched battles between uh, labor and capital. Between labor and capital's goons. Recommend to you a... uh, film called The River Ran Red, which tells about another great labor struggle in 1892 at the uh, Pullman Homestead Factory uh, in Pennsylvania, I believe. Okay. Barbara, how do you feel about the capitalist system? The capitalist system And I'll tell you The reason why It has caused me so much Suffering and my dearest friends To die Well I know You all are wondering What it has done to me Well, I am going to tell you That my husband has TB Brought on by hard work and low wages And never enough to eat From Going cold and hungry With no shoes upon his feet My husband was a coal miner Who worked hard and risked his life Just trying to support three children himself his mother and wife Well I had a blue eyed baby Was a darling of my heart But from my little darling Her mother had to part While the rich and mighty capitalist goes dressed in jewels and silk My darling blue-eyed baby has died for the want of milk Well they call this land of plenty and for them I guess it's true For the rich and mighty Capitalists Not for workers like me and you Well now, what can we do about it? 
to these men of power and might Well, I tell you, Mr. Capitalist We are going to fight, fight, fight Barbara Dane with her take on the capitalist system. Fight, fight, fight. Good words. Don't, don't let's forget. Don't let's forget. Uh, one of the people uh, murdered in the Ludlow massacre of the 19 Union people and even a couple of women and children were burned to death when uh, the National Guard set fire to the Union camp. One of them was Louis Tikas, a Greek man who was kind of the leader of the strike, of the strikers. And he was, he went to, he went to uh, talk. He was trying to talk to the National Guard to make peace. And uh, he was murdered. During the battle, four men and 11 children had been <clears throat> hiding in a pit beneath one tent where they were trapped when the tent above them was set on fire. Read about it, the Ludlow Massacre. One of those things that uh, Mr. Charles Krauthammer was talking about. He, he was lamenting that people don't respect America anymore. And he blames it on the student and young activists of the 1960s. Here's the story and my response to it. Mr. Krauthammer says that people nowadays don't respect the United States. They weren't just out there rioting and sitting in. They went into the professions, the teaching professions, and they've essentially taken over, Krauthammer said. That generation of radicals runs the universities. They run the teachers' unions. They run the curricula. Krauthammer went on to say that the antithope bred by educators could have devastating consequences for the future of the United States. In the end, what brings civilizations down is when the elites lose confidence in the rightness of their cause. Equating the U.S. government with, and its aims, with the aims of the American people. Uh, we need a new generation of teachers who are not committed to this. History of the sins of our ancestors. Look, every civilization is founded on sins. Every single one, Krauthammer added. Dispossession, violence, appropriation. What distinguishes civilizations are the ones who rise above it. Certainly, as we go along, we need to correct and, and further hone our causes, and our causes are social justice, liberty and justice for all. Not sure, here's, my, here's the response of labor and love. 
Not sure what he means by rising above it. What does that mean? Does that mean some people ignore what happens to them and their people or they just get killed and and know that they're serving their part or I'm not sure. It's certain that Krauthammer knows little or nothing about teaching or the lives of teachers, how teachers agonize over this stuff out of being fair and being even-handed. The other thing is that if his extremely dubious claim is at all true, then where do the children of the 1960s learn their lessons and from whom? Hmm? Where did that all come from? That idea that you could change the world for the better and make it a better place for everybody. Could it be that they were schooled by their parents, that great generation, tens of millions of whom went to war to struggle against fascism, racism, and injustice? Could it also be that they were merely bringing those lessons home? Mr. Krauthammer simply doesn't go back far enough. So, yeah, where did that come from? Where did I get the idea, for example, that uh, the world could be changed for the better, to make it a better place for everybody, not just for a few? Where, where do you get that? Okay, Barbara Dane, let's talk a little about her now. Dane was born uh, in Arkansas. And uh, family moved to Detroit. She started playing around town right away. By nineteen, by the 1950s, she became a familiar figure at clubs along the San Francisco Embarcadero. She had moved to San Francisco in 1949 at the age of 22. Um, she first her first professional jazz job was playing with Turk, the great Turk Murphy, at the Tin Angel here in San Francisco. Um, Louis Armstrong remarked of her, "Did you get that chick?" After he'd heard her sing, she's a gasser, and uh, she started recording with Armstrong. Uh, started her own company called Paradon Records and uh, recorded some 45 albums of international uh, protest music. Paradon Records. Okay, Barbara Dane. And I did want to play this one because this one is... I have another Barbara Dean. This one was recorded by the Chambers Brothers, the group that was supporting her, uh, singing behind her on uh, on Thursday when I went to see them.
The Chambers Brothers with their version of the classic. People Get Ready, originally written by Curtis Mayfield, at that time a member of the Impressions. The Chambers Brothers. And Barbara Dane singing about 1970, the U.S. government under Richard Nixon and Henry Kissinger extended the war in Vietnam into the neighboring countries of uh, Laos, Cambodia. These included heavy bombings of civilian populations, and there was a mass mobilization nationwide, as happened in those times. People responded when government did things like that. In a way, they're responding now. There was a large peace demonstration. There are peace demonstrations all over the country, one at Kent State in Ohio. And the fighting, there was fighting, reached a level where uh, National Guardsmen turned their guns on and fired at students, murdering two students. Kent State massacre with... Barbara Dane. Brothers, listen to my story. Sisters, listen to my song. Singer for young people who are now dead and gone. Two of them were twenty, and two were just. 19 Just stepping out to meet the world Like so many you have seen It was in Kent State, Ohio On a Monday afternoon The air was full of springtime The flowers were in blue well, it was a scene of terror that none will soon forget. Young students stood with empty hands to face the bayonet. Allie Krauss and Sandy Scheuer marched and sang a peaceful song. Like Bill Schroeder and Jeff Miller they did not think it wrong They laughed and joked with troopers And some to them did say We marched to bring the G.I.s home And we are not afraid No warning were they given No mercy and no chance The air was filled with tear gas The troopers did advance Suddenly they knelt and fired The students turned and fled Fifteen fell at that moment And four of them were dead On the campus they were murdered in the springtime of their lives 
As angry sorrow swept the land Their friends and parents cried They'd hardly learned to struggle But witness they will be They died for those in Vietnam Also for you and me But while we march and mourn today There's much more we must do Must teach ourselves to organize And see the struggle through Blood flowed upon the fourth of May And we'll know its father well Till we sink this murdering system In the darkest pits of hell Barbara Dane with the Kent State Massacre. <clears throat> and you have to try to understand the amount of cultural anger there is, cultural hatred uh, across generational, across political lines. How right-wing people are so full of anger and hatred. Republican governor of of Missouri while the battle for true equality for the LGBT community is far from this is church and state challenging religious privilege in public life uh, this writer says that Republicans have lost the fight about against their bigotry towards LGBT people. Take for instance, they haven't given up though. Take for instance those religious freedom laws that many Republicans are passing in states across the country that are nothing more than their attempts to legalize discrimination. Okay, the right to discriminate against somebody is not a religious freedom issue. Discrimination is a public act and it falls within the purview of government. Mississippi Phil Bryant was honored by a group called the, Fa the Family Research Council for their first ever Samuel Adams Religious Freedom Award for signing his state's anti-LGBT law. Now here's what they've done. They've taken Sam Adams at the time of the American Revolution was a leader and was against uh, states, uh, against religions being, you know, part of the state uh, structure. What they've done is they've taken that now and said, well, religious freedom means that we have the right to discriminate against you if we want. Now, in your church, I guess if you're in a church, you can keep people like that. You can keep out LGBT people if you want. It has nothing to do with Christianity, of course. Anyway, Brian's acceptance speech for this award 
He blames secular progressives who realize that this country is ruled by the Constitution and not the Bible for trying to put pressure on him not to sign a law that blatantly violates the constitutional rights. And Brian says, they don't know us very well, do they? They don't know that Christians have been persecuted through the ages. They don't know that if it takes crucifixion, we will stand in line before abandoning our faith and our belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So if we're going to stand, now is the time and this is the place. He would rather be crucified than accept the constitutional reality. Now, what kind of Christianity is that? I don't know. A bottom-feeding bigot. You have to understand, I was talking about Kent State and... The young people, four of them and 15 wounded, were taken to the hospital. And one of the nurses who worked on, who was there when the dead bodies came in, said, oh yes, I know it's terrible that those kids got killed, but you should have seen, they were just crawling with lice. This was her response. It was how, quote unquote, dirty they were. Not caring much. Only a pawn in their game. A bullet from the back of the bush took Medgar Evers blood. Set the spark, two eyes took the aim behind a man's brain, but he can't be blamed, he's only a pawn in their game. A South politician preaches to the poor white man. For the politician's game As he rises to fame And the poor white remains On the caboose of the train But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn In their game The deputy sheriffs The soldiers, the governors Get paid He's taught in his school From the start by the rule That the laws are with him To protect his white skin To keep up his hate 
So he never thinks straight About the shape that he's in But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn In their game From the poverty shacks He looks from the cracks To the tracks And the hoofbeats Pound in his brain He's taught how To walk in a pack Shoot in the back With his fist in a clench To hang and to lynch to hide neath the hood To kill with no pain Like a dog on a chain He ain't got no name But it ain't him to blame He's only a pawn In their game Today Medgar Evers Was buried from the bullet he caught He'll see by his grave On the stone that remains Carved next to his name His epitaph plain Only a pawn in their game Labor and Love here. You're listening to Labor and Love. And we're going to go look on the Labor and Love Facebook site. See what stories we've collected this week. We already reported on former restaurant owners hit with $6. million restitution. Prison sentence in massive wage theft case. Three former operators of a Chinese buffet chain here in the Bay Area. $6.1 million that they kept from their workers. Either by having them work extra or by delaying their payment. Or by giving them less than they were told they would get. This one's about TJ Maxx. Your great finds from TJ Maxx may come from underpaid workers right here in the U.S. While shoppers may believe that the merchandise on the shelves of their local TJ Maxx, Marshalls, other off-price store consists of cast-offs from department stores, there simply isn't enough of that kind of merchandise to keep every store filled. Instead, these off-price realtors fill their racks with items that come directly from factories. And some of those factories have been linked to terrible labor practices. 85%, one, one executive from TJ Maxx says, 85% may be produced for TJ Maxx directly. So these low price stores are employing 
low-paid workers all over the all over the United States. The Department of Labor's Wage and Hour Division accused multiple Los Angeles area contract garment makers of underpaying workers by hundreds of thousands of dollars. The accused contractors made clothing for TJX, Urban Outfitters, Ross, Forever 21, Dillard's, and more. TJ Maxx. <clears throat> so they're part of that worldwide structure. They move groups of workers around. They bring groups of workers into the country to do work for them. TJ Maxx. Underpaid workers right here in the U.S. The other one you're talking about is Stunning Truth. This is... Um, Add this, I guess, shared via add this. Stunning truths about the bloated safety nets for the wealthy. And the website is Popular Resistance. This is how the wealthy get wealthy and stay wealthy. The entire 2017 safety net is about $850 billion compared to over 1.5 trillion for tax expenditures, most of which are for rich Americans. The average 1% household increased its wealth by $3 million in 2016. Since much of that was in the form of stock gains, they paid tax on only a small part of their incomes and then took an average of about 200,000 per household in tax subsidies. When all forms of taxes and income and capital gains are considered, the richest 1% pay lower tax rate than the poorest 20%. Wealthy people are living longer, so they're getting much more of late life benefits. The Brookings report estimates that the lowest quintile Americans born in 1960 will receive only 78% of the lifetime Medicare benefits received by the top income quintile. But we all know this. If you're well off, you have much more control over your environment. You have better doctors. You don't have to think about if you can afford to go to the doctor. Uninformed critics believe that government transfers go to the poorest Americans. They don't. According to the research team of Thomas Piketty, Manuel Saints, and Gabriel Zuckman, the government transfers go mostly to the middle class and the elderly. In 2014, the middle class, the 40% of American adults with incomes just below the top 10%, receive more in safety net government transfers than the bottom 50%. Housing start with the homes, the expensive homes, the estates. For the mortgage interest deduction alone, households earning over $100,000 in 2012 
claim 77.3% of the total tax savings. Those with expensive homes can take a tax break of up to a half million dollars when they sell their homes. A lack of mortgage and property tax subsidies is nearly double the amount spent on public housing, the amount spent on mortgage and property tax. Social Security, as noted, wealthy people are cashing in because of their longer lives. But there are more reasons for their late life benefits. Lower income earners are subsidizing the top 10% of Americans who stop paying their Social Security when they reach $127,000 income. That means if you make more than that, Anything over that is not taxed for Social Security. Also subsidizing the rich are the unauthorized immigrants who pay for their social who pay Social Security but are ineligible for benefits. A wealthy household can make millions in capital gains and pay no tax as long as investments are held and then bequeath the estate to heirs with little or no tax. Less fortunate Americans who have to rely on bank accounts get virtually no interest and in the majority of the overdraft fees. Super rich are by far the benefits of U.S. security tax laws and financial system. <clears throat> But rather than repaying society for these lopsided benefits, households with wealth over the $40 million line evade 20 to 30, 25 to 30 percent. Okay, so when you hear someone like, I was reading a Forbes magazine article where the the writer was chiding working people for wanting employers to pay for anything or wanting the government to pay for anything. And his remark was, that's, that's not standing on your own two feet. Well, the rich don't either. The rich are getting far more, far more than what we even want. Senator Lindsey Graham once said, it's really American to avoid paying taxes legally. It's a game we play. I see nothing wrong with playing the game because we set it up to be a game. But it's not a game for the 200 million struggling Americans who depend on tax revenue for education and housing and health care. Check it out. It's a popular resistance. And the title is Stunning Truths About the Bloated Safety Net for the Wealthy. Okay, let's take a little break when we come back. Read about how one city turned back its minimum wage gains. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, we're back, uh, and as promised, we're going to talk about St. Louis, Missouri. We just heard from the governor of Missouri that rather than ha let LGBT people have their rights, he and other evangelicals like him would be crucified. <laughs> talk about creating a straw man. Who's... They're going to be crucified? Uh, I, I don't get it. It's dramatic, though. Missouri Republicans lower the St. Louis minimum wage from $10 to $7.70. Here's one place where the minimum wage movement had some success. $10 an hour is not enough to live on. Let's just say that. After St. Louis leaders raised the wage for workers within their limits, the state GOP currently passed what's known as a statewide preemption law. What this means is the state sets the minimum wage, not cities. The new law will have a startling consequence. It will actually push the minimum wage back down from the city approved $10 an hour to the state approved $770. A 23% pay cut. So this leaves it in the hands of employers. How many will take the GOP up on the offer to slash pay? Given the effect such a move could have on competitiveness and morale. But if businesses agree with Republicans that the city wage is too aggressive, then at least some of them are likely to revert to the lower pay rates, particularly in low-wage industries like fast food. The governor didn't sign the bill, but he just let it pass, which is the same. The governor said the St. Louis minimum wage would kill jobs. And this is an argument now that the right uses against movements like Fight for 15. That it kills jobs. We'll, we'll get into that next week. Because uh, uh, I got into sort of an argument with a Pacifica newspaper guy. about it. So we'll, we'll deal with that next week. That's a big issue. St. Missouri's Supreme Court recently ruled that the St. Louis measure was lawful, but the new state preemption law renders it irrelevant. In Alabama, GOP state legislators passed a preemption law taking aim at the city of Birmingham's 10-10 minimum wage. The Alabama chapter of the NAACP ended up filing a civil rights lawsuit against the state, claiming that the majority white legislature was disenfranchising Birmingham residents who are 73% African American. That suit was originally dismissed, but is now on repeal. Okay, we're remembering now Labor and love, labor history, 
The general strike in 1934, there were two major general strikes in 1934. One in San Francisco, um, the ILWU, Longshoremen, and one in Minneapolis, a trucker strike involving the Teamsters Union. There is from wharf rats to lords of the docks. By step the longest march can be won Many stones can form an arch singly none And by union what we will can be accomplished still Drops of water turn a mill singly none My Irish Catholic mother, she was always writing home to Dublin. And she had a large hand, so the address took up most of the envelope. Well, she sent me off to the post office, I was about seven, and I always had to buy penny stamps. So I had to stick stamps all Harry over the Bridges. front of the envelope, turn it over, stick them all over the back to make up the postage. One day I went home, I said, Mama, why can't I buy shilling stamps? And she said, never. Because the shilling stamp has a picture of the King of England on it, and no son of mine is going to lick the other side. Put the gas mask on. Gas mask on. Put the gas mask on. You ain't got too long. Then the police started pushing us back to the intersection of Mission and Stewart Streets just off the waterfront. When the police car arrived and shots were fired, two men lay dead. Scrap iron, crude oil bound for Japan, we refused to load it. We didn't like the way they were bombing those cities in China, and we figured it just might come back at us one day. Same way as we refused to load some German ships because of Hitler and some Italian ships when Mussolini invaded Ethiopia. An injury to one is an injury to all. And I'll tell you something else. Interfere in the foreign policy of our country? Sure as hell. That's our job. That's our right, that's our privilege, that's our duty. Foreign policy is too damned important to be left to the striped pants set in Washington, D.C. I said then that if all the jobs on the dock were to disappear, if they were to dwindle away and all that was left was just two jobs, just two, and I had my way, I'd make damn sure that one of them went to a black worker. 
And, and here's the thing. See, I have every right to be prejudiced because I was brought up in a racist country. I was taught that white people are superior. But I learned better, see? My dear judge, if Harry Bridges is deported, he is more than likely to organise the whole British Empire against us. <laughs> he is a dangerous man and should be kept where we can watch him. Our very good friends of the British domain have more than their fair share of troubles already. Patriotically yours, signed, I see clearly. <laughs> anyway, Carol King, she could write a letter herself. Listen to this. All I have to say is that you are a bastard. And the next time you behave like this, I will murder you in cold blood. <laughs> well, for that, they threw me back in jail, which I did not like, not one bit. Although while I was there, I did read 12 books, I put on 15 pounds, and I organised the guards into the Teamsters. <laughs>
for those who have an insatiable appetite for all things in life, who scream at nothing and everything at the same time, who dance till sunup, who cause the sun to set again with irreverent bow, who rival the moon with gravitational force, who leave rooms feeling empty and earthquake struck, who don't give a fuck, who make, who do, who dream out loud and laugh like maniacs, who draw shock and awe on faces graced with watching, who create from the soul of an orgasm, who swagger even alone in the shower, who fight with passion and love with passion and are passion, who catapult over cliffs in the name of revolution, who would rather die than fall in line to conform, who constantly challenge the norm, who greet each and every day as if just born, I say to you, I know your greatness the way a suicide jumper knows weightless just before the impact, and in fact, I know it best when I say to you, I love you. The Night Space brings you High Time Storytime every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. Listen to San Francisco's finest underground comedians read crazy stories written by me, Arden, on The Night Space. The Night Space featuring High Time Storytime every Wednesday night from 10 to midnight on Mutiny Radio. High Time Storytime Volume 1 now available on Amazon.com for Kindle and electronic download. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a pattern? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> Good evening there, my friends here at MutinyRadio.fm. Chester Cashcock here, and giving you my love and regard as well as movies over there. And uh, I just wanted to let you guys know that any time I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, I can't help but listen to Pamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. I mean, if anyone who knows anything about comedy knows that Pamtastic's books the best of San Francisco and beyond's underground comics. It's a great showcase, and they have a fun time at Pamtastic's deep in the Mission District, where you can laugh off your tushy for near five dollars every Friday to ten p.m. And I laugh because five dollars, I mean, that's what I used to wipe my tushy with. So to laugh it off for a mere five dollars is indubitious. But if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, well, don't even worry. Don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show and giggle in the comfort of anywhere. Like your Aspen summer home on the mountain ridge with the kayak feeling. So all you got to do is just go to podcastics.pcrcollective.org slash comedy clubhouse. Or you can listen live every Friday from 8 to 10 p.m. as your host Pam Benjamin brings you the best comedy from San Francisco and beyond the universe. And what's better than the universe? It's a cash cock, honey. (laughs) 
Franciski. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find counter-offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini, and creamy-licious mac and cheese. You like tacos? They get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Brenda's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission People, this is the Flat Black Plastic Show on MutinyRadio.fm. Wind it up, baby. And it gets to yo yo. And it gets to yo yo. Wind it up top. We're gonna pogo round and around and around and around. We're gonna pogo all night long. And it gets to yo yo. And it gets to yo yo. Wind it up tight. We're gonna pogo round and around and around and around. We're gonna pogo
public place in town The star curtain shooting Soon the sun goes down Hey, tell me What kind of place can that alley be? Every woman I get